Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. I'm your host, Tyson Day, alongside Daniel Anardi. In our podcast, we interview guests that bring a fresh perspective on topics that are vital for you to thrive in your life and career. Our approach is casual and always curious. Through our guest insights and our debriefs, we hope to help you develop a career full of purpose and meaning. In this episode, we speak with Phil Hayes. Phil is the Director of Sales working for an Australian tech startup. An all-round amazing bloke, he's had a career that has transitioned and developed to align with his self-purpose and values. He shares his amazing insight into discovering your identity, embracing fear, and investing in your own development to help others. You can follow Phil's updates on LinkedIn and check out the amazing work that he is involved in with various networks, organizations, and charities. We hope you enjoy the episode. Phil. Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast, mate. Thank you so much for joining us on your Zoom platform. Thank you. No worries. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for having me. It's a pleasure. And uh, technology tests us at time. It tests us. That's it. It tests Thanks us. Thanks for coming in, Phil. That's all right. It's all good, my friends. We, um, to our listeners, we were joking at, uh, at the start because our meeting was meant to start at seven and now it's, it's 10 to eight and our technology has finally decided to work. And it's all thanks to Phil because we're using his zoom account. So thank you, Phil. <laughs> this episode's brought to you by Phil's zoom account. <laughs> that's all good. It's all good. That's, that's resilience right um, there. That is so, not giving up. That's it. And so I suppose um, from our perspective, Phil, we, we know why we wanted to get you on the show because we think you've had a great career and you're doing some fantastic work at the moment. And, the values that you bring into your work around sense of belonging and purpose, I think can really align for a lot of our listeners. So I'd, I'd love to hear from you what you're currently involved in and, and share your story. Yeah. Um, and, and like I say, it's, it's a pleasure to be here and share these sites. And I think if it can help um, just one person out there, then that's going to be a, a great thing from my point of view. But um, yeah, I've, I've had a career probably that span over nearly 20 years now within the sales industry and across a, a whole different, you know, wide range of segments and um, currently working within a startup space and uh, it's basically a, an employee engagement uh, experience platform um, aimed at corporate companies to supply basically, you know, self-help and tools and, and kind of resources to working parents because it's um, it's tough being a parent and, and, and juggling, you know, your work-life responsibilities and your personal life responsibilities and trying to be present for both is, is a challenge at times, being a father myself of two. Um, and we just want to make, you know, you know, parents being able to be the, you know, the best version of themselves and, and companies really tap into that, um, maximizing the benefit of these people because they're great people. You know, they haven't lost their drive or enthusiasm. They've just kind of had a, a more bigger workload handed to them and they need to kind of like work through that. So yeah, it's, um, it's a, you know, it's an exciting space to be in is the tech space and especially in startup, it's never a dull moment. And especially with the, uh, <laughs> The current environment we're in is uh, even more challenging, but I think mm. you know, with any challenge, it creates a new opportunity and a, a, a new idea to be created and, and brought forward. Definitely, definitely. And mate, from your perspective, what what made you want to get involved with such a, a company? Yeah, it's a, it was a good question. Um, I, I think you know, going back, some when I started my first career. Um, I went to college and, and university like most people did when they were younger and, and that was the path I was told to go down and um, it was not something I, I purposely sought out but um, I knew I had a passion for you know kind of people and 
and connecting with different people, whether it be, uh, you know, in social environments or kind of work environments. And after, you know, coming out of university, I was actually a police officer for around two years in the UK. And um, again, not a choice I chose. <laughs> It was something that I thought would be a good idea to do. I know my father was a police officer for 30 years and, you know, kind of follow the, the family steps. And I learned a lot from that process and I'd learned a lot about myself. But it was through that I thought, you know what, this doesn't give me passion. It doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. And I go, you know what, I really want to do this. And as much as it was rewarding at times, it was very, very taxing. Um, it just wasn't me uh, personally that I wanted to be. And I got into sales gone through a few different roles, um, recruitment, and then moved into um, SaaS sales with LinkedIn. And LinkedIn taught me a lot about um, not only myself personally and, and you know who I am as a person, but also what I wanted to be. And it was through that drive and real kind of like um, this company that started from nothing. It started in a living room with Reid Hoffman and three other people around kind of just let's share some jobs. And now it's you know, this global solution. Mm. Um, I got this real drive and passion around, you know, things can be created from just an idea or a spark and with enough will, passion and, and you know, kind of tenacity, you can push that forward and drive it forward. And it's from there, you know, I, I started to say to a few friends at LinkedIn, you know, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to like a startup and or like a small business and people would look at me mad going, you work for one of the biggest global tech companies in the world. You get great benefits, you get great pay, you can ride around the office on a scooter. You can drink as much kombucha as you want. You know, it's like <laughs> you're living the dream. What are you doing? You must be a fool. And it was, mm. it's that, it's that, that constant need to kind of like say, well, what if I just try this? And you know, and mm. I, I push myself that little bit further. I may fail. I may fuck up. I might not get it right. But the amount of learnings and and kind of rewards I'll get through that process is gonna, you know far outweigh any pay packet or any kind of benefits or that you could get because that is essentially who I've been my whole life is push yourself that little bit harder and see what you can achieve. And, um, you know, through that, that was where I've constantly put me into environments where I'm under pressure. I'm having to think on my feet, you know, it's challenging, you know, it's stressful, but it's, really really rewarding and I come out a better person the other side and that was why I started to go for these kind of tech startups and landed me where I am at the moment mm, that's amazing because the thing I love too mate is that you you're able to have that self-awareness of going hey something is a little bit off or it's you know I feel like it could be better on the other side or the grass is greener can you share with our listeners from your perspective, what did that feel like when you were going through the motions of work? Yeah. And you were kind of going, look, maybe this isn't as fit for the person I'm working towards. It's a really good kind of question. I think, um, you know, the majority of society will have gone through or experiences at some point in their life is that, you know, you, you get a, you get a good job and, you know, and it's often said from, I've had it from career counselors and at school, you know, you know, do a job that makes you happy or get a job that makes you happy and those kind of things. And a lot of people follow that. And whether that's in their personal life or work life, it's, yeah, you know what I do, this makes me, this job makes me happy and I'm happy, but happiness is nonlinear. And, and that's a real problem there because what makes you happy today could frustrate you tomorrow and could really piss you off in like another two years. So it's, it, it, but people then kind of go back on themselves and say, well, well, I've gone so far, I can't turn back now and I just have to do this. But, you know, for me, 
that then becomes existence and not living. You know, we've got such a short time on this world and in this this life that you've got to go. You know what? I want to I want to turn back and look back at my you know when I'm gone and you know what did I achieve or what did I do? You know, maybe I didn't get it right all the time. Maybe I did fail, but I didn't give up. I kept on going and kept on having that tenacity to keep going and testing myself, regardless of all these things. And um, you know, you you go through the motions when you're in a job, and a lot of people will feel it is it's like driving a car. Sometimes you you, know, you get in a car. You shut the door, turn the engine on, you start driving. You get to a place and you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Because you're on autopilot. You can just do it without thinking these days. Mm. And that's when you get into a job where you can walk into your job and you can probably do 90% of it without even having to think. But, you know, does it make you happy? Does it actually spark that joy and that excitement in the good of your stomach that goes, you know what? I'm really doing something here, but I'm making a difference. I feel good in myself. And I think I'm helping others around me as well. That's the thing that, you know, is a real spark for me. And, you know, there's certain people and authors I read and, and things that spark this in, in me. And it's, I want that self-belief within me that no one can tell me what I can and can't do. Only I can do that. And that's under me. You know, the only thing that stands between me and success is myself. And mm. people will try and label you or say you can or can't do things. And they may have an idea, but really deep down the only person who can prove them wrong is yourself and having that ability to test yourself that's the only way you're going to find out whether you can or can't do it and if you can't that's great you know at least you tried and you know you've had a you've pushed towards it mate i'm roaring we're take we're going deep <laughs> for a monday night i love it <laughs> <laughs> mate, i've got it i've got it's, it's you know this is just the tip of the iceberg and you yeah. know it's, it's the stuff i like to do i think you know we we've got a lot of different things and traits we've all got here. And I think we all possess resilience and, you know, that mental resilience. It's just whether we tap into it or not and whether we're brave enough to tap into it. Phil, when I first met you, I think we had a, had a beer at a rooftop bar somewhere in the city in Melbourne. You did. You um, took me to one of your, your hotspots, I think. I was, yeah. I was impressed, man. I was coming back for a second date. <laughs> <laughs> he knows all the spots. He knows yet? all the spots. <laughs> Not yet, mate. With two kids, these very we, even if COVID nineteen wasn't on, we won't be venturing out much often. Not yet. Give it six months, we'll be out. We'll be out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I first um, met you, you sort of had this spark and um, deep self awareness that you're sort of talking about now that clearly shines through. Um, but can you take us back to like how you first started building that for like listeners at home that are like, wow this guy's got great self-awareness and he sounds really confident and assured of himself. Can you take us back to the start to like how you started building that or you mentioned you read certain authors. Can you just yeah. touch on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the one thing around self-resilience and mental resilience is I often, I used to perceive that as, well, that person must be really strong mentally and that's so tough that they just never, they're not af afraid of anything. They've got no fear. They're not scared. They've, they've never messed up. They've been perfect, which is impossible. And I think mental resilience comes from, and that self-awareness and self-purpose comes from fucking up every now and then and, and, and failing and, and going, you know what, I'm not perfect, but everything I'm not makes me who I am. And it took me a long time to get that. And I think it, it, it stemmed from my childhood is that um, I didn't come from a bad home. I came from a great home. My dad was a police officer. My mum was a nurse, but they'd both been married before. And, you know, they were 
troubles with those kind of things and and it was from that I was the you know the the youngest child out of about three or four and growing up I was the runt of the litter and you know I think one of my brothers you know picked a weakness in me and he could see it and he's like I can manipulate this boy I can tell him what he is or what he isn't going to be and from that small moment it, it developed into my high school into my university and I was I'm never the smartest I'm not the greatest at English or maths and those kind of things and it was because I'd lost my, lost my self-identity, my, my self-belief. I thought that I would never amount to anything in this world and I'd never be anything. I'd, you know, I was just going to be like whatever anybody else told me to. And it was, it was probably when I was about 16, 17, one teacher just said to me, you know, like, you don't have to follow everybody else. You don't have to do whatever else says you have to do or you don't have to go along with society. You know, it takes a braver man to stand up and be different and step away from that. And it was from that, I was like, you know what, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not going to do everything that someone says. And it was from that moment, whether it was sport, whether it was, you know, exams, maths, English, jobs. If someone said I couldn't do it, that was the biggest mistake you'll ever make because you're just going to the top of my list and I'm just going to chase you down until I break you and basically say, yeah, I am going to do that. I am going to beat you. You know, I'm not the most gifted footballer. I only retired playing football last year and it's just through sheer persistence of going you know what i'm going to push myself a little bit harder and see what i can achieve and it was from those things that um you know i got to where i got to and it was not giving up but also not being afraid to actually get it wrong every now and then you know not having all the answers and i think that's where that self-confidence comes from is because people could have tried to label me in my past and in my career and gone oh you can't achieve that or you can't be that you know you can't be a uh, a people manager or a people leader or you can't do this and it's like well who says why not you know mm. and i break it down to three things for me is my identity fear and vulnerability and then invest in how much you invest in yourself and that's how i get to where i get to is that my identity of me is who i am and i'm not going to try and be so like somebody else i know sometimes when you're hiring people and daniel know this from our previous role that is that bias? Oh, you should be more like Dan or you should be more like Tyson. Well, I could be, but I could just be Phil because that's who I am. And I play to my strengths, not somebody else's. And, you know, we each are individuals and we've got strengths that we can rely on. And it's about tapping into those and saying, well, yeah, I'm not good at that, but I'm great at this. And that's going to, what's going to push me forward and what I can do better. Um, and I think that's what you've, you've really got to start with. That is like, you know, addressing who are you and, you know, like, you know, ask yourself little questions like, well, what's important to me and what do I want to achieve and what, do, what person do I want to be? You know, that's the most important. You've got to set those fundamentals first before you can move on to anything else because you've got to be comfortable with who you are. <clears throat> and that, and a big part of that is leaning into fear and vulnerability is that, you know, mm. you, you will you try and protect yourself because you don't want to go. Well, I don't want to do that because I might get hurt or I might you know I might mess up. Who cares? Give it mm. a go. Give it a crack. And because you you might surprise yourself what you can achieve um, when you do move forward. And that's where I've I've learned these things from not only you know myself but from you know leaders and authors and certain people who have shown the same thing. Um, Tyson, I know you're reading your, your six books and those kind of things. And, you know, there's a, there's a book by a guy called David Goggins and it's called, you can't hurt me. Oh, 
Amazing it's, book. It is. It, it is unbelievable. It doesn't matter whether you are um, a sales rep or a, you know a graduate, a student, uh, you know a thirty-year-old CEO. You mm. can learn something from it, and it's he's just a regular person like we all are. We all enter this world equal, but somewhere along the lines, people kind of hierarchy each other and say we're better than others. But people can tell you you can't achieve stuff, but he does. He just like resets that mind, and he talks about getting your mind bulletproof but mm. through that you've got to look at your fear and it's like why are you scared to do things and why won't you do that analyze it because all those things when you start stripping them out yes you have scars yes you have pain but if you start to look at it it, it heals over and it comes tougher you get scar tissue and then mm. you can move forward and can become stronger and that's how mm you know, you get this courage to do different things is, is by, you know, looking and analyzing these things about yourself. Yeah, mate. I, I actually uh, listened to that book through audiobook over summer and I was yep. just, I was so g'd up after Christmas. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. It is. And I think these, you know, these people like that, um, you know, I read Reed Hoffman's book as well about blitzscaling. Another great book. It's, it, I think anyone who's in corporate and been stuck in corporate for a long time, read Reed Hoffman's book around blitzscaling because it shows you that he was a guy that has built multiple companies, you know, around the world. But you've got to you've got to change the way you think. You've got to think fast and not be afraid to mm. fail. Like, mm. you know, fail once, great. Fail twice, as long as it's not the same mistake that you keep repeating, then that's okay. Mm. It just shows that you're not afraid to learn and you're not afraid to you know, give it a go and try something new. Given the current climate that we're in, there's, as we were discussing before the podcast around, you know, opportunity, sorry, challenge creates opportunity. I think that's a really good, important factor for a lot of people to think about moving forward, especially through what we're currently going through in that, you know, people are going to be faced with many challenges. Some ideas that perhaps come out of those challenges may fail, but moving forward and learning from our mistakes is going to be vital for the community and every individual, I think, to move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's where they get into like, you know, the politics side and all the other stuff of it is that, mm. you know, we, like you say, through these catastrophe, these things happen and, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment with people like, you know, panic buying and, and, and hoarding and stocking and getting all this food in and, you know, then we can't get stuff because it's all overseas. You know, one thing that might come out of this is that Australia needs to produce more, you know, manufacturing here in Australia. If everything's manufactured in China mm. and we can't get it into the country, we isolate ourselves off, we shoot ourselves off from the rest of the world. You know, the hoarding mm. stuff. I think the reason that people are going out and trying to buy all this food is because they're scared. They're, too, they're, they're not willing to lean into that fear and analyze what is that fear? What are you scared mm. of? What do you think is going to happen? Is it's those people are going, well, oh, crap, what's going to happen? But then you've got companies going, we don't do flexible working. We don't do remote mm. working from home. But now they're having to learn. So mm. more businesses in Australia may be able to you know, operate through a remote workforce and flexible working, which creates a better mindset, healthier workforce, mm. you know, better well-being. So there's huge benefits that could come from this. But we've just got to be able to accept them and actually acknowledge them and go, we didn't do that so well, but we could do this better. 
In your opinion, where do you see the, the workforce heading in that, in that regard? Because I think you would have been exposed to some pretty cool tools through your career and, and stuff that's continuing to evolve. I know from the people that I've spoken to who are already working at home that they're loving it. Like the, the yep. opportunity to minimize their commute, spend more time with their family and friends um, and still be quite productive because there's less distraction from the office. Like where do you think that's going to go? I, th- I think this is actually, it's almost like a, a, a test case or a dummy case run of what it would look like because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of mindsets shifted and changed out there because I think it's a generation thing that, you know, you have to be seen to be heard or, you know, we, how do we know they're working if they're not sat in front of us? And we're going to have to shift to that, that workforce where it is um, outcomes driven, not what time are you in at the, in the morning. So if you can get your work mm. done in four hours, then bravo more you know well done for you and like you say you cut down the commute times you know people aren't stuck in traffic getting stressed and then missing family time and feel like their you know relationships under pressure because they're not there or present for home and it has multiple benefits and rewards i think that more companies will start to introduce you know flexible working you know i think some parts of the world have introduced a you know a four-day week which again like what's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? You know, if people can get their work done and they can be more productive, then fine. Um, and I think that's what, you know, we've got to look at is, is there a better way of doing something? Can we try something new? And, you know, what are the outcomes from that? You know, if it fails, it doesn't work. We just revert to back to what we were doing before. You know, it's, the world's not going to collapse, you know, nothing, you know, things will still keep on going and the, the cogs will keep on turning. Really interesting, interesting points about the, what could come for the workforce out of this case study, if you'd like to call it. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting because myself, this is my first time working at home. And when I first started on the first day, I was like a bit lost. Um, And you're kind of like, all right, what am I doing? What am I meant to be doing? But then sort of second and third day, I've just sort of like gotten to the groove of it and I'm still doing everything I would do at work. And it's making me realise, well, I actually do all this stuff at work, but I don't actually need to be at work to do it. Yeah. Like it would be great to be at work for maybe 40, 50% of your week, but there's still that other 50% that you could clearly just be at home, saving commute time, spending more time with family. And you're in a better, you're in a better headspace. Yeah. Like last week I worked from home on Thursday and on the Friday, I didn't feel like it was a Friday. I just felt like I was refreshed. Yeah. It, it will. I think the. I think that's where a lot of stress comes from. Is that um, you know there's an anxiety and stress around. Am I doing enough? Am I working you know hard enough? Am I working long enough hours? And you know I think that we'll see less and less in that in the future. That it it wouldn't be a case of well you've worked till eight o'clock at night. Great. You know you get a promotion. It should be a case of well what outcomes are we you know driving? Are we are we have we increased engagement? Have we increased our you know mental capacity? Have we increased productivity within the workforce? if all those things are showing positive signs, then we should be leaning towards this. And I think that's why, you know, again, a lot of companies, you know, don't do this is because they're fearful. They're fearful Mm. of what would happen, but you have to take an intelligent risk every now and then and say, well, you know what, we're going to lean into this. We're going to give this a go. And if it works, the rewards will far outreach the, you know, the negatives that we think in our mind might happen. I have another one for you. When we did the pre-interview, before we do our podcast, we get our guests to just fill out a quick you know, form so we know what they want to talk about, what their passions are, what they're interested in. 
And in your one, you mentioned something about um, societal net worth. Yeah. And I've, I've never really heard that term used before the way you used it. Can you like tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I think I, I touched on it previously back in the day. I'm showing my age now. Like I'd probably call it my currency, you know? So, you know, when you go to another country, you say, well, you know, I can't just go into Australia and go, I'm going to pay with pounds. I'm English. I'm going to pay with pounds. You're like, no, no, no. We use Australian dollar here, mate. And that's what you're paying with. So it's, we have our currencies and we don't try and change that for anybody else because that's what our net worth is. And I think society and society, society net worth has to evolve because what's happened through social media and these chains is that people benchmark themselves off what other people are doing. And, you know, stuff like Instagram, which has changed recently around mental health and which it's definitely having an impact on is, you know, how many likes are they getting on Instagram or how many people are following me and all these kind of things that, you know, are our values basically. Oh, that, that makes me a good person. No, it doesn't. And I think there has to be a shift in that in terms of how do we understand what our net worth is and what is our, you know, society worth as a, you know, a group. And I think from school ages to children's ages around mental resilience and being able to understand your own net worth and what your worth in society is, is imperative for the future of the economies, businesses and humanity, basically, because, you know, we all have a role to play and it's, you know, you know, the prime minister said it last night is that some people are playing their role in this part in, in Australia at the moment. And some people aren't, and it's the younger ones that maybe go, Oh, well, it's all right. Cool. I don't get it. No, you might not get it and nothing happens, but it's the impact you'll have on the rest of society if you pass it on. And mm. they don't understand what their value is. They are quite a, a valuable commodity to our society because they could actually damage a whole heap of the society if they don't you know, control that and manage it. So it's, mm. it's really about understanding who you are and that net worth, basically. And it comes down to that self-worth is, you know, yes, I'm good at some things and I'm not good at other things, but you know, it doesn't make me a bad person that makes me who I am. That makes me unique. And that's, that's, you've got to own that and, and walk around confident with your shoulders back and go, yep, that's me. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. <laughs> Mate, when do you think you, you found that confidence to, to, to be like that? Because I think for me personally, I, I feel like I only was really comfortable in my own skin and, and would feel comfortable standing up for what I believed in when I was around 20, 25. I'm 30 now. So yeah, love to hear from your journey around when you really felt that that's true self-belief and that full self-awareness. Yeah. I think again, it it took me a long time, a long time. Like I think it gradually increased over time. You know, we all know right from wrong as kids growing up and as we get into, you know, younger years, you know, you'll still know the right from wrong, but you might kind of, you know, venture off and go with the pack and do silly things just to kind of, again, gain that social uh, accreditation that you're cool or you're, you know, you're in with a group. Mm. And I probably, you know, it probably wasn't until I was like, you know, 30, uh, you know, and I passed that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very open about my mental health and well-being. And I've had some really low times and I've had some, you know, great times from it. And I've, I've come out better from acknowledging these. And I think when I've been at my worst is when I've not had that self-worth and that self-concept to go, you know what, this is me. And, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do regardless of what other people think. And when you start to chase other people's um, validation or kind of say, yeah, you're a good bloke or whatever, you, we're all good people, but we just got to own it ourselves. And I think it was probably mm. early thirties when I, I really started to realize that, that 
if you start to kind of lean towards the people for your self-worth or kind of value, they can kind of take that away from you and take that control away from you. So it was, you know, I've, I've taken jobs that I probably shouldn't have taken, but I thought it was a good job to take and the money was good. Oh yeah, let's chase the money. And, you know, I didn't listen to my dad when I was growing up. My dad said to me, Phil, never chase money because money doesn't make you happy. He goes, just chase something that you are good at and you feel like you're contributing to and the money will follow you afterwards. And for a long time in my career, I was just like, oh, this pays well. It's good money. Don't really like it. Don't really feel like I'm contributing to society, but I'm still going to do it. But, you know, and it wasn't until later on that, you know, when you do start to mature and you still start to think about, think about all these things you could have done and, you know, done better, then it's like, well, maybe I should start taking ownership of this. So, you know, these, these people who've been in their careers for 20 years and still think it's too late to change or should I, should I take that mm. leap of faith? Hell, why not? You know? Mm. It, what have you got to lose? Exactly. The, the sun will rise the, you know, tomorrow, you know, you'll still, you still have a thing. And it's, if you've grounded yourself with, good people you've invested in yourself in terms of your health and your well-being and your friends they'll all still be there for you regardless of what happens and i think that's a, another important thing is when you do invest in you invest in everything you know sleep you know learn you know look at pick up a new book and read it you know try a new sport or you know go a different place see a different thing you know but you know keep your your people that you trust around you and loved ones around you because they'll always be for you be there for you regardless of what happens and yeah it takes you some people get that earlier some people might get that later in life but for me it was definitely mm. well into my, my my early 30s before i actually kind of really knew my own true value in like well this is me and i'm i'm not budging for anyone sort of thing in mm. in the kind of <laughs> the nicest regard sort of thing you know it's i know what i can do and what i can't do you know i'm yeah. not going to try and challenge Usain Bolt and say I can beat him because yep. you all know that's not going to happen. I'm gonna, probably going to pull a hammy. So <laughs> I also see that um, you're, you're probably a, a fair mentor figure for a lot of people that you work with. Um, yep. For people out there listening who, who want to step into that space around becoming a mentor, what are some things from your, uh, what are some, I suppose, teachings that you feel are really important in that mentor-mentee relationship? Um, I think it's really important, you know, at the very start, you know, like I said about the identity piece, it's a really good place to start with is like, you know, what's important to that person? You know, what do they want to get at? What do they want to achieve? And, uh, you know, what person do they want to be or what is it they're trying to, you know, kind of get to? Um, so then at least the mentor can actually start to like hone in on those skills or, or even say, well, you know what, I will be a good match or I won't. Um, a lot of my mentoring came from just actually helping people in in work or seeing people, you know, that could use some advice and, you know, just going to them and asking and offering, um, which it, it was funny. It probably happened more at LinkedIn. Whereas, you know, I almost took on a leadership role as a manager, but I wasn't a manager. I was just kind of, you know, if someone needed help, I'd, I'd go to a sales demo with them or I'd help them with their sales pitch and their deck. Um, I'd sit on deal reviews and understand and break it down and kind of analyze things with them because hand on heart, I just, I enjoyed it. I got a thrill from seeing other people succeed and enjoy that. And um, it's, it's sometimes hindered me in my career because they were like, Oh, well you're a salesperson. So you should be like kind of wanting to make the biggest sale and the biggest commission check. And I'm like, that's nice. But I actually do like other people around me succeeding. And mm. as a team, it's better to enjoy it. You don't really kind of get that much enjoyment when it's just you on your own going, Oh, well, I'm having all the fun. Cause again, that's a happiness that will be short lived and then drop off. 
Mm. Um, but I think, you know, if these people, if it's at work or if it's, you know, in a sporting club or wherever you want to mentor someone, put your hand up, you know, ask if you see anyone that needs some support and I can actually, you know, help with or those kind of things. But, you know, I've still got um, ment- mentees that I'm, I'm working with from previous companies and checking in with and uh, it's just around, you know, helping people, you know, as soon as you take another, you know, step up the ladder, don't forget to look back and bring someone with you because it's, you know, get lonely up there if you're on there on your own and there's no one there to share the success with. Hundred percent. Really good point, Danny. Did you want to ask a question? Sorry, buddy. Oh, I said it's a really good point. Did you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, like that little pause where I was yeah. like, I was like, is it a delay? I'm not sure. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Uh, I think it's really interesting what you said about leadership and how that relates to management. But sometimes you don't have to have the title to show leadership qualities. Yeah. I think it's, you know, um, it doesn't matter whether it's on the sporting field or, um, you know, in the, in the office, you know, even as when I was played sport for a number of years in soccer and, or football, as I used to call it. If anyone's English listening to this, I'll be I'll be getting in big trouble. Um, We've got a few English listeners. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't give them my address. They'll be coming around and having a chat to me. Um, but yeah, I was never I was never captain throughout you know throughout the majority of my career, and it wasn't until like you know playing in local soccer here in Australia that you know someone said, oh, you know, we make you the captain and. It was not something I put my hand up for. It was just because I was always kind of, you know, trying to help other people or coaching the younger kids who came in and supporting them and those kind of things. And it's, it is, it's, it's about remembering when you were that age or when you were there and that, you know, what, how better you could have been if someone have actually stepped up and said something to you or put the hand out to offer help. And it's something that I've, I guess I got it from my father that my dad would, he would give his last five pounds to someone that he had in his pocket to someone if they needed it more than him. And, he, he was a big, big believer in those kind of things in, you know, not stopping and kind of ignoring people, but help them and, and give them a, you know, a bit of advice. If it, if it helps one person, then that's, you know, you've done something good there. Mate, from, from your perspective, how do you think organizations c- can help their employees more in, into the future? I think it's, it's given them that flexibility in terms to how they operate in their role. And I, and I talked about it before around outcome driven work rather than, you know, being in an office and, you know, I get, you know, touch on Dan's point that, you know, sometimes some people will need structure and say, well, this is what we want to do, or this is your, how you can go about it, whether you're working in a different location, but some people will be able to flourish and thrive in a certain environment. And you should be tapping into that and pushing that and saying, well, how do you work best? And, you know, how do you how do you want to be you know coached how do you want to be managed how do you want to be mentored and all these types of things rather than setting a policy and then saying we're just going to spread this across our whole workforce and hope that everyone just you know achieves what we want to achieve through that is businesses will have to be more fluid in in their approach and how they engage with employees and the future workforce are going to expect it they're going to expect to be able to work from home mm. they're going to expect flexibility they're going to expect technology and these kind of things and it's it's imperative that businesses start to integrate this in now because if you wait five years another 10 years by the time you do integrate it it's going to be too late and you know it's going to be too harder to actually change your workforce so i think it's, it's funny be, you, sorry i was just going to say phil it's funny you say it because like 
we've all been a part of this workforce for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, however it may be. And when you actually say it like that, like we're going to write a policy for every single unique individual and we're going to roll it out and we're going to want everyone to achieve X, Y, and Z. It's like in today's day and age, it just, it's so, so backwards, isn't it? Mm. it it's is. so 1995. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. It's so true. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, you know, and you look back, and I look back at all different types of figures and, and people who stood up, you know, like everyone from like Malcolm X, if, if they'd have just gone away, gone with the way that it was, nothing would have changed, you know, and, you know, we'd still have women that couldn't vote, we, you know, people couldn't, you know, have a, have a presence in, in parliament or certain things. And it's a case of because someone stood up and gone, you know what, we could be doing something better here, we could change this and, and mm-hmm. for all of us. And it doesn't stop. We have to consistently do this over time and, and, you know, future generations are going to be far more um, expecting these type of things, but also, you know, they're not going to lay down and go, no, this is, this is fine. We'll just take it. They're, they're going to push for it. So we, we have to change those workforces and the way we do things and say, well, you know what, the, the outputs we're getting are great and we're doing it in half the time. Yes, we don't, we you know we have a more of a reward, uh, a remote workforce, but who cares? Like it's getting us the results we need and mm. it's going to be a vastly different um, environment in years to come. And, you know, right now is a, it's almost like a, a warning shot to say, well, look, look what happens when something shuts mm. down and the shutters come down and you've got no control over that. You've, you've got to be able to pivot and you've got to be able to look at something or a different way of doing it. And that's what you find from tech companies in these startups like Atlassian and Canva. They've, They've found something, they've found a different way of doing it and they've excelled that and they've scaled it really, really quickly. And mate, by the sense of you've got a real hunger for the startup game now. I do, I do, I do. Don't, don't, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, I, I miss, you know, some of the, the corporate world. I'm not saying all the corporate world is, is bad and those kind of things, but <laughs> it's, it, it's that thirst for learning. And I think, you know, it doesn't matter mm. what I do, um, you know, I, I, I I train and I work out every day and it's not to get, you know, the biggest guns in, in town and all these kind of things. And so I can walk around with a nice tight top on it's, <laughs> it's getting my head sharp and going, you know what, I bet you can't do that. You know what, let's see if we can do it and push yourself a little bit further mm-hmm. each day. And I think that's the thing with startups that it, it goes at a hundred miles an hour and you've got to keep up or it, mm. it's just going to run you over. And you kind of, you know, you, I think Reid Hoffman says in his book, Working in a startup is like trying to build a plane, throw it off the cliff and have it finished before. <laughs> I have heard this quote. And it's, and it's so true because you've got to get the wings on, you've got to get the engine firing, yeah. you've got to get that trajectory because if you don't, you're just going to crash and burn. And, and that's why a lot of people don't choose it. And mm. A lot of other startups you know, don't exist or kind of anymore because it's very short-lived and they call it a unicorn for a reason because it's a pretty rare fucking beast. <laughs> you know, not many of them actually come out <laughs> the other side. So, you know, but it's, it's good. Like, it's, mm. You learn a lot. And, and that's what I think is even if, you know, I walk into this going, even if this startup doesn't work or doesn't get to where we achieved or wanted it to, which I absolutely do know it will do that. But it's like no one else can say you, you played a part in that. That's something that no one can ever take away from you. And that again, goes back into your own self-worth and currency that you've, de- you've done that, you've developed it and you've chosen to do that. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows what the future will hold? Yeah. Cause, cause I think um, there's gotta be a, a few listeners who are 
considering a career move into a startup space. And I know it's something that I get asked a lot, especially with graduates going, you know, I can't decide between corporate or startup or, you know, tech or whatever. Um, from your perspective, like what are some traits that you think an individual needs to, to make that move into a startup? I think anyone who loves lots of structure and, you know, it can actually plan it out probably shouldn't go near a startup because it, it is, it moves so rapidly and things change and you've got to be able to, you know, kind of pivot and go, all right, this doesn't work. What else can we do? Or what, what other ideas can we, we, can we think of and how can we push this forward? Because if you get trapped in that, well, this is the only way I want to do it and I can't move, it's going to become very hard, very quick. Um, but I think if you've, you know, you, you like challenges, you like to, you know, that you have that you know, thirst for learning and, and want to pick up different things because you can come become very robust very quick because you, you get access to all different areas of a business. Whereas in corporate, sometimes you can get siloed and you might just only see one aspect of that business. Um, you know, where in a startup, you get to learn around, you get to see how the product's built and why we build it and why we change it. You get to see why we make certain business decisions in terms of growth and scale. You get to see how, you know, we kind of build strategy and processes because a lot of these things don't exist. When you walk in there, it's been, you know, kind of built on bare bones and then you've got to scale it up from the bottom. So mm. you've got to have, um, you've got to have the ability to, you know, get beat up a little bit and, pick yourself back up, you know, not, not afraid to kind of take a few punches and go, you know what? Yeah, that wasn't great, but we're going to keep on going. And I think you've got to be willing to, you know, share and be open and, and share those kind of experiences with everyone around you because you are a family at the start and you're kind of helping build that culture and what you set as a foundations will be there for the next five, 10, 15 years of people who come in that business afterwards. So mm. it's, um, if you like creating things, you like breaking things and fix them again, then give it a go. Yeah. Why not? And then, awesome. like, if you don't, if it doesn't work, you know, these, these, it's not the end of the world. You'll learn a lot of things along the way as well. Just to pivot a little bit, Phil. Yeah. I know we've spoke about books a lot already, but before we wrap up, do you have a couple of good book recommends or author recommends on stuff that's really had a big impact on your life? I do indeed. Let me, let you me, have, you, you, you have a really sound philosophy. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, some of it is through personal experience and some of it is obviously through, you know, uh, people I read and, and engage with. But one of my favorite authors is Brené Brown. Um, I think she, she talks a lot about vulnerability and fear. And I think it is, it's such an empowerful, uh, impactful way to actually harness that, that is probably the number one thing that a lot of people won't look at is, really looking at you and yourself and also, you know, these vulnerability of being, you know, taking those risks and kind of putting yourself out there. So Brené Brown, you know, Dare to Lead is a great book. Um, there's the, um, the Power of Vulnerability, which is um, by Brené Brown. Again, uh, some some fantastic reads from her. And then stuff like um, Jordan, P, Jordan B. Patterson, The 12 Rules of Life. So I'm actually reading that book at the moment and it's a great book, but he talks around what would happen if there was a virus that hit the world and how it impacts. It's quite spookily reading that right now is given this what's happening. Um, wow. What's his takes on that? It's all through 
the the identity and fear and vulnerability is basically how society has built these pecking orders that he said if you look at it like birds you know if you throw feed into a, a group of birds there's always the big strong bird that'll come out and take it and then the older and weaker ones will kind of get pushed out because they've not been deemed as society as the stronger ones and ultimately they they drift away and die and it's the older ones that don't get to and he said much like a virus if a virus hits the stronger ones who have got most of their power kind of take over and the older weaker ones drop off but it's it is a lot around your self-belief your core values and, and what you stand for because that will give you that mental resilience to actually push on and, and de determine what you want to do or what you don't want to do and those kind of things um david goggins great book you can't hurt me um and Blitzscaling by Reid Hoffman is a great book. I think even if you are in a corporate world, you're, you're thinking about startup, you're a graduate, it gives you a really good understanding, not only about the LinkedIn and these kind of companies, but also some of the companies that were, you know, juggernauts years ago, like Nokia and how they just dropped off, like mm -hmm. how quickly they went from being a powerful um, business to nothing within a couple of years. And it's, it keeps you kind of, stable and humble about don't get too cocky and don't kind of ever think that if you keep mm. on doing the same thing it's just going to continue to generate success you've got to keep moving and keep changing and evolving over the years or else somebody else will do that for you and take it away they're, they're, the, they're the ones for now but I'm, I'm happy to share more i've got literally I'm, i think i've got about four or five books that i'm trying to read at the minute on older bible so um yeah i've i'm trying to get back into that again but yeah i love i love reading and just having something on in my headphones whilst I'm working or I'm on the mm. bus or I, I set a task about two years ago to read or learn every day um, whether it be LinkedIn learning or through a, a, a book and I'll just read 15 to 30 minutes every day on the bus in the morning or at night and an hour a day that's nothing that's a, that's a commute and a, a commute home sort of thing mm. combined so it's again it's all about that investment in yourself and you know, that kind of breeds that kind of self-confidence and self-worth because you're just making yourself better every day if you keep on doing that. Amen. Thanks mate, for thank, sharing. Yeah, thank you My so pleasure. much for sharing and, uh, and coming on the show, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. And, um, yeah, I, I love listening to your podcast and, you know, just uh, grateful I could be part of it, really. Oh, thank you, mate. And and mate, if, if listeners want to want to reach out, um, what or see your updates, what's the what's the best way for them to to do that? Yeah, you can um, you can see me on LinkedIn. Um, I basically Phil Hayes um, on LinkedIn. But yeah, you know, shoot me a, a message and stuff like that if you want to chat, or even if you just want to discuss a topic, or even mentoring those kind of things. It's um, I've always got time for people, you know, I'm not I'm pretty busy, but I, I try and want to help others if I can do. So yeah, feel free to shoot out and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing the podcast with anybody on LinkedIn and stuff like that as well to get your, your good work out as well. Awesome. Uh, thanks, thanks mate. mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Arrive and Thrive podcast, please let us know by sharing it with a connection and leaving a review. We hope that through this podcast, even more people can design a career and life that they love and are proud of. See you soon.